0: Lord, take this time, would you, for your purposes. You're so much bigger and greater and broader and higher and deeper than we can ever be. And so we ask that you would be the one who teaches us this morning. Make your word come alive so that we can come to know Jesus and appreciate what you've done and follow you more faithfully. In the name of Jesus, we pray. In our learning communities this past week, as I mentioned, we, we started to study uh, Ray Vanderlyn's teaching on um, some of the historical background, the archaeological background of Jesus and what he was all about, his birth. In contrast to Herod, who was king at the time, of king of Israel. And I think we walked away with a deeper understanding of what God has done in sending Jesus as a man. But more important than that, a deeper desire and appreciation, a, uh, appreciation and desire to follow in his footsteps, to surrender ourselves to him, to listen and obey. And so our, that's our, really our goal for today is a deeper understanding, um, appreciation and commitment to live for Christ as we look at Christmas and Genesis. When I first announced this title, I said, uh, it came from Alistair Begg, who is a pastor in um, North, Northeast Ohio. Great man of God. But let me just, as a clarification, I stole the title from him <laughs> and little else. <laughs> I listened, I've listened to the three messages that he had in that series, um, and I would encourage you to go listen to him, too. But it's very different than what we're going to do. Um, but, but as I was listening to the third message, it was interesting because he expressed what I kind of feel. It, and, and so this is pretty much his words. It seemed like a good idea at the time. But after I got into it, it's a bit daunting. And that's kind of what I'm feeling. And actually, Christmas in Genesis—the the point is really Jesus in Genesis—is what we're looking at. So um, I have to, and I have to admit that in the past I've been—I I, looking back on it as as God takes me deeper into understanding what He's about—I um, feel like I've been kind of superficial when it comes to what we do at Christmas time, and God is taking us deeper below the the superficial, below the just general knowledge below the the kind of stuff that's in our culture in order to get to what he was really all about and i kind of had an alternative motive for this series as well because in 2022 we're going to be looking at the the story of god in the bible in a comprehensive way from with this from where god sits perspective from this right side up mentality from looking at it from the heavenly realm it, with all the, that he has shown us in the last couple of years, and so this is getting getting a head start in as we as we finish up December. So, are you ready to go deeper? Okay, three people are. Are you ready to go deeper? Okay, here we go. Back to the beginning to understand the incarnation. Reality number one. Is it Christmas or is it incarnation? If you ask the person on the street, what is Christmas? Not not you, you're a church person, just the person generally out there in our American culture. If you ask the question, what is Christmas? What kind of answers would you get? Family? Family? Santa Claus? What'd you say? Gifts? Gifts? Holidays? No work. No work? Holiday, yeah, get, get time off. Daniel? Spend time with family. Food. Spend time with family. Food? food lot, yeah, lots of food. What? Lights, Lights? Plays? Holiday music? Yeah, all those kinds of things. How about the average church attender? You know, or, or the creasters? You know what Christers are? People go to church on Christmas and Easter. (laughs) Somebody admitted that this morning, that that they they were one of those. Before they came to New South. What about those people? What would they say? They would say Jesus. And all the other stuff, yeah. They would say it has to do with the birth of Jesus. It, Yeah think about is like childhood memories, they like they want to create mm-hmm. a, a, some kind of vision of Christmas. They had right envisioned in their mind. Right. Know? So yeah, childhood memories of Christmas. And so the average church attender would would probably have a major scene somewhere in their in their house. Pete? I just going say creasers, <laughs> which i they don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Right. Or else would be there. Right. So it's 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 a lot of the cultural stuff with maybe a little bit of Jesus added in. What about a serious Christ follower? If you ask them, what is Christmas? What would be the answer? So <laughs> the beginning of God's plan. It's like not not scriptural. In a lot of ways, in, in, in some ways, culture. yeah, it it's still the culture. Our Savior, salvation. Savior, salvation about Jesus Christ, yep. And it's and so the the even as serious serious Christ followers, our focus is on Jesus, but I think we're still scratching the surface of understanding because it goes back to something bigger and deeper and broader than we generally look at. And I've been guilty of it. I admit right up front, as, as I, we begin to think about our Christmas Eve service and what we've done in the past, I look back and think, we've, we've still done a lot of fluff, a lot of culture instead of reality of what God is really all about when we talk about Christmas. And so it really is Christmas, as I said last week, is that word, Christ Mass, is a, a description. It's a word for a religious Eucharistic usually, involving communion, a a, crisp, uh, um, a religious service that commemorates, that looks back, that remembers Jesus' birth. It' was a moment in time, just a moment in time. Incarnation, I think, is the word we need to use. Incarnation is in flesh. That's the word, in flesh. It's Jesus coming in flesh. It's the doctrine that Jesus took on human flesh and became 100% God and 100% man. And that, that, that moment in time when Jesus took on flesh was the beginning. What happens in your neighborhood on December 26 as you walk out the door and you see people outside? I don't know about your neighborhood, but everybody's taking down the Christmas decorations. Right? It's over. We've been looking forward to this, and on December 25th, it would, it's over. But it's the beginning. It's the beginning of what Jesus wanted to do. Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. I put that in your outline. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name. His name they shall call his name, Emmanuel. God, with us. It's the beginning. It's the incarnation. Is Jesus coming in flesh? It's the beginning of God, with us. And so the first reality is that Jesus comes in the flesh as the beginning, not as the end. So we have to go back to the beginning to understand the purpose of Jesus coming as Emmanuel. So number two, in the beginning, all was good. Open your Bibles to the very first chapter of Genesis, the very first chapter of the Bible. Genesis chapter one. And here's what we find. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God. That, that just gives me chills. Because in the beginning, all there was, was God. And God, we know, according to his character, throughout the Bible, is good and he is love. And so in the beginning, all, everything was good. Chapter uh, and, and, um, And so in in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And and there was light the first day. Verse 6, God said, let there be um, an expanse in the midst of the waters. And that was the second day. Verse 9, God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together in one place. Let the dry land appear. And then look at the end of verse 4. And God saw that it was good because God is incapable of creating anything. That's not good. And God said um, in verse 11, let the earth sprout vegetation. That was the third day. Verse 14, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day and the night. And God created the two great lights as the the fourth day. Verse 20, and God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures. Let birds fly above the earth across the expanse. So God created sea creatures and every living creature and every winged bird. And that was the fifth day. And then God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds. And at the end of verse 25, and God saw that it was good. Verse 26, then God said, "Let, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of man, he created him with male and female. He created him and God blessed them. And God said to them, and here's, I want you to notice this word, be fruitful and multiply, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And then go down to verse 31. And God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. If we go back to the beginning, what we discover is that God decided in his perfect wisdom that he was going to create all that we know, all that we see, he's going to create everything and he creates it good. And, his origi- and, and so everything was good. Which brings us to number three. Humans were to live and work with God. If we go back to the beginning of all that was, all that is, his purpose was to make human beings to live and to work with himself. We were to be co-workers with him, co-laborers with him, co-rulers with him. And, I ha- and, and so here's one of the real, realizations that God has shown me recently is, I have made the mistake of zeroing in on that we were made for relationship. And I came, and, and I came up short. I came up um, short of what God really had in mind. As if, and so the in, and, and I think, I don't know. In my mind, in in the way that I've communicated, it's like we were made for relationship. As if all we are to do is just sit across the table from each other and um, and drink coffee and have fellowship and just talk and and do, and that is not appealing. And that I think is is a lie from the pit of hell. A blindness that so many of us as Christ followers have is that wasn't God's original purpose at all. His purpose is for relationship. But as we read Genesis chapter 1 and, and 2, what we see is perpo- there was a, uh, he, he created us with a purpose of relationship and relationships with a purpose. And that purpose is that we are to live and work with God. We are to live as co-laborers with God. We are to live as co laborers. Uh, workers in God's kingdom that will bring him honor and glory and bring joy and contentment and peace and, and an incredible um, uh, abundant life among ourselves. Look, at, look back at Genesis one twenty eight once again. It says, God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. That's God's original purpose. He didn't say, I want you to sit around all day and I'll visit you in the evening. He said, I am giving you the incredible privilege of working as a co-laborer with me in this creation. Go to chapter 2, verses, beginning with verse 7. And so in chapter 1, he gives the big picture. Chapter 2, he brings, brings it to a little more detail. He says, then the Lord God, uh, Genesis 2, 7. The Lord God formed the man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east. And there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground, the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was there. And so he, he created them and then he put them in this garden and he says, here's, your, here's what we're going to do together. We're going to watch over this together and I'm going to give you responsibilities so that we can experience life together. I have created you because I want people to, that I can love, that I can care about, and I have created you for a purpose, to be a co-worker with me. Down to verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. I've created all of this, and now I'm giving you the job to watch over it because I want a place where I... And so the Garden of Eden was God's original place where he would have a presence on earth and he would come and go, and, but the responsibility was for m- mankind. Then verses 19 to 20. Chapter 2, verses 19 to 20. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper for him. I'm sorry, that was verse 18. Verse 19. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field, every bird of the heavens, and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. Let's pause there for a minute. God has created everything. He says, I've created you for relationship with me. I've created you so that we could be co-workers together. And here's where it begins. Notice, the Lord in the second part of verse 19, the Lord brought them to the man to see what he would call them. First job you have, Adam, name the animals. The Lord God brought the animals to him. There's God right there with Adam. And what we'll see throughout the Old Testament is God shows up in physical form. He shows up and walks with Adam in even the cool of of the day. He shows up with Joshua. He shows up with Moses. He shows up in the form of Jesus, even in the Old Testament. And so there he is. He brings the animals to him. God incarnate walking and talking with Adam as co-workers together. So here's your job, Adam. I, I'm giving you the incredible privilege of naming all the animals. And, whatever, and So verse 19, whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock, to the birds of the heavens, to the beasts of the field. I had always assumed in my blindness, that Adam named the species. That God had, and, and quite frankly, I didn't really notice that it was God himself who said, Adam, stand there. I'm going to bring you the animals. I had never really noticed that. And so my assumption was, oh, the, oh I'll call those dogs. I'll call those giraffes. Oh, I'm at the end of the alphabet. I'll call them the zebras. <laughs> That's not what the scripture says. He brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. Its name. Here's what I now believe. God brought every single animal for him to name. He's not talking about species. He's talking about individual animals. What are you going to name that one? Harvey. <laughs> Zechariah. I don't know. I don't know what Herald. the names were. Harold. <laughs> yeah. Herald. He was naming the animals. And when you name something, hey, so when, when you were growing up and, and you brought some stray animal home and you said, Mom, Dad, can I keep this? They, Here's what I don't know how it went at your house. Here's what it went at my house is don't feed it, because if you feed it, it'll stay. Don't name it, because if you name it, then you kind of own it, right? And you begin to have a relationship with it. Don't name it. Get rid of it. (laughs) That was what happened in our house. Here's what happened. He named the animals, which means he had relationship with them. And when I realized that recently, I thought, "I am in trouble." Because I am not an animal person. God was saying, "Adam, I want you to have a relationship with all of these beings. And so he wasn't naming species, he was naming animals. So I'm in trouble because my wife keeps telling me, you need to love Buckeye. Buckeye's our dog for those of you. I I can't believe that came out of my mouth. Oh Lord, what have I done? Because up until this point, right now on December 5th, it was always Sheila's dog. And I just called it our dog. What just happened? <laughs> She named it Buckeye because I'm an Ohio State fan, and I think part, and she's admitted it, if I name it Buckeye, then he'll love it. I'm going, I don't want to love it. But what I'm seeing in this passage of scripture is, I think that the Garden of Eden was much more like Narnia, if you're familiar with the, the tales, the C.S. Lewis tales. Where there were animals who would talk, animals who related to Adam and Eve, animals. And so when they walked through the garden, they were surrounded by beings that were not in the image of God, but that were God's creation that they were to have relationships with. Because it was perfect, the garden was perfect, and they were were having a relationship. And so when God put them in the garden, they were to do stuff together with God. Which, by the way, is what, one of the things that made the fall so upside down is because when Adam and Eve sinned and God had to clothe them, he killed animals to give them clothing that they had relationship with. That's that is just a, a precursor of of some of the damage that was done when it turned upside down. So God's purpose for us is to have a relationship with him as co-workers, as co-laborers to work side by side. And too much of it has just been this emphasis. The true picture of perfect relationship with God in the Old Testament, all the way to now is doing stuff with God alongside God, working alongside God. And so when we come to the New Testament, Jesus calls his followers. He called them to come come with me. Come be with me and we'll make fishers of men. It was to be with Jesus with a job. When he was resurrected and he was getting ready to leave and he gave what we know as the great commission, it it was a job. It was, go into all the world, make disciples of all nations, and behold, I will be with you always. It was to be a co-worker with Jesus, to do his work with him together. That's why in the New Testament we find that God has given gifts to every believer and in 1 Corinthians and, and Romans, we find that it's, it's, the picture is the church as the body of Christ. And one is a hand, and one is an eye, one is an ear, one is a foot. And all the different gifts of, of teaching and hospitality and serving and encouragement and all these. Why? Because it's not just about sitting across the table from God drinking coffee and having a Bible study. It's about doing His work together. Amen. And in heaven... He describes that we will rule with him. We will have responsibilities in heaven alongside of him as we worship and bring honor and glory to him. And I think one of the reasons that Christians are weak, powerless, is because we don't recognize this. Those of you that were parents, if you were ever sitting down in the kitchen or in the living room, and you heard kids upstairs playing, and then you heard nothing. nothing. (laughs) That was a cue, wasn't it? That's when we go find out what's going on. As long as they're screaming and hollering and beating on the walls, you know that they're playing together. But when it gets quiet, something's going wrong. Is it possible that we as followers of Jesus Christ are in trouble because we're not doing what God wants us to do? Amen. We're sitting around doing nothing. That's when you get into trouble, whether it's kids or whether it's adults. Guys are terrible at this. They'll sit around going, "Just doing a, I wonder what would happen." Those are deadly words. <laughs> Women, you probably don't know anything about this. But when guys get together and they start going, I wonder what would happen if we strapped that to the back of our truck and we drove it 100 miles an hour over the cliff, could you survive that? I mean, wouldn't that be fun? That's the kind of stuff that happens when Christians are not about the work that God wants them to do. They're sitting around talking about stuff and that's why there's gossip and there's jealousy and there's envy and there's hurtfulness and because we're not doing what God wants us to do and we're getting into our own kinds of trouble. And I think this is a part of what I sense God saying to me several months ago is that he's been taking us deeper to get to know him better. And now he's saying to us, I need you to be on mission. I need you to be working. I need you to be doing some things. And I think that's a part of what 2022 is going to be. God has something in mind, but we have to understand that it's about doing stuff with Jesus. Recapturing what God was all about. When Jesus comes in the incarnation, he came to reestablish what he had established in the book of Genesis. So it's about carnation rather than Christmas. Incarnation. That's a flower. It's about incarnation in the flesh. Not Christmas. It started out good, and now we are created to live and work with God as his co-workers. Number four. Incarnation then brings, begins the restoration of God's purposes. The incarnation is the beginning. It's not the end. It's the beginning of the restoration of God's purpose. God's original plan and purposes remain. And so God never changed his purposes for his creation at all. That's why we're emphasizing Genesis 3.15. is because that, at, the, at the point of disobedience, God says, I am still going to accomplish my purposes. I'm going to crush Satan's head. So God's purpose is that human beings who love and serve him to be fruitful, multiply, and bring people from all nations into relationship with God to do the same. So to Adam and Eve, if you you still have your Bible open, Genesis one twenty-eight. Genesis one twenty-eight. Here is his original plan and purpose. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. His original purpose was to make the entire creation the Garden of Eden, to be perfect. That they were to multiply, they were to have other, and and the whole creation was going to be filled with creatures just like Adam and Eve, in perfect relationship with him. He wanted a place in this creation for his dwelling and he wanted people to share it with him that was god's purpose in genesis chapter 9 verse 1 noah said uh, god said to noah and his sons it says god bless noah and his sons and said to them be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth same plan if you go to genesis 17:6 when he calls abraham and he says i'm going to make you into my special nation through whom the messiah will come and all nations will be blessed. He says, I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. Genesis chapter 28, verse 3. God, and to, to Jacob, God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may become a company of peoples. And that's why the language at the end of the book of Revelation reflects and correlates with the first chapters of Genesis. It's the same If you want to see a part of what uh, Genesis, what the garden was like, look at the end in Revelation 20 to 22. Because the new heaven and the new earth is the restoration of what was originally created. In the meantime, the incarnation, next bullet point, the incarnation was the beginning of restoration. So flip to the New Testament, Luke chapter 2, verses 25 to 33. Is this making sense? Good. Luke chapter 2, beginning of the verse 25. And by the way, this is very different than Alistair Begg's first <laughs> sermon of Genesis. Christmas in Genesis. Luke 2, 25. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This was after Jesus was born. And Mary and Joseph took him to the temple to be dedicated eight days later. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, that is, Messiah. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms And blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation. Salvation is the restoration of the original plan of God. Salvation in your life is the forgiveness of sin, the reconciliation, the restoration to what the perfect relationship that Adam and Eve had. That's salvation. That you have prepared in the presence of the peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and for glory to your people Israel. All peoples, all peoples will be blessed through Jesus Christ. It's the beginning of the restoration of God's purposes. And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. So the incarnation was the beginning of the restoration of God's purposes. But it's also, the final bullet point, the incarnation was an invasion. And this is where the spiritual war comes in. This is where it gets hard. This is why it is is 180 degrees from what God's original creation was. When Adam and Eve sinned, it turned everything upside down. And instead of God being the, the ruler of this world, now we got evil. So back to the opening question to the person on the street, Christmas If you ask that person on the street, you might get answers. What what was Christmas all about? And what you get are things like, oh, it should be sweet. It should be nice. It should be family gatherings where everybody gets along. It should be good feelings. It should be overeating over-drinking, over-buying. I mean, it only comes once a year. So, you know, indulge yourself. I mean, it's a, it's a great holiday. Should, everybody should feel good. It should be nice. Which is exactly what Hallmark has made it. Right? It's not that I hate Hallmark. It's that it's, I just have a hard time watching it because it's so different than God's original intent. It is what it is. You know, there's nothing wrong with feel-good movies as long as you know that that is fantasy rather than reality. There's nothing wrong with that. The culture has so sterilized Christmas into niceness and sweetness and kindness and fun and good feelings that is fantasy. That is fantasy. That I think as Christ followers, we have gotten sucked into it so many times. That it ought, we think it ought to be that way. Christmas, look at me. The incarnation was an invasion by an enemy force. When Jesus comes into that, it comes into this world after nine months in Mary's womb, he is coming as an invading enemy into this culture that is ruled by sin and darkness. Which is why Satan tried so hard to kill Jesus through Herod. Because he knew that this was an invasion. And so, you know, all these Christmas movies, Kindness, Light, Happy Endings, all those kinds of things. If, if it was biblical, the Hallmark Channel would be war movies. I I'm, I'm and I'm dead serious about that. Saving Private Ryan is more accurate in a of a Christmas story than any of the Hallmark movies because it was an invasion. Satan knew it was an invasion. All of his forces knew it was an invasion. He had come to destroy what was what this world had turned into and restore it back to its original intent. In an invasion, you face a fight. And that's what Jesus came. Matthew chapter 11, verse 12. Here's a verse that you don't really see at Christmas time. From the days of John the Baptist, this is Jesus talking. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence. And the violent take it by force. What Jesus is saying is I have come as an invading army to destroy the work of Satan. I have come. The kingdom of heaven has suffered violence. They, Herod tried to kill Jesus. That's pretty violent. Herod arrests John the Baptist. That's pretty violent. He beheads John the Baptist. That's pretty violent, right? The kingdom of heaven is suffering violence. And Jesus is saying, if you want to take the kingdom of if you want to experience the kingdom of heaven, you're going to have to fight. And how do you fight? You become a coworker. With Jesus to do what he wants you to do. That would change the Hallmark Channel a whole bunch, wouldn't it? They'd have trouble getting sponsors and that's why they don't do it. One of the reasons. Partly because they don't know. But we know now. It's about incarnation, not Christmas. It all started out good. In the book of Genesis. We are created to live and work with God as co-workers, co-laborers. That's our purpose. The incarnation now begins the restoration of God's purposes. Next week we will look at Genesis chapter 3 and begin to see how that all works out. I want to challenge you though. I do every week. But I want to challenge you even more. What caught your attention That will cause you to think differently and live differently? That's right, Garrett. He knows. What caught your attention that will cause you to think differently and live differently? Now, what